Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. Uh, we just launched two services back in October, and so this is the first time we've ever had two services on Time Change Sunday. So how many of you are thankful that there's a second service? It's a little bit later. We'll just thank God and even the little things like that. And so we're glad you guys have decided to join us. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called From True to Real, and the tagline for this series is how do we move faith from the head to the heart. And the idea is how do we learn who God is, embrace the truth of who he is according to his word, and then how do we make it real by putting it into practice? And uh, that's a challenge for all of us in life. Uh, We are inundated with ideas all the time. And church and scripture can just be another idea in just an array of ideas. But the Christian life is actually supposed to be something different where we see the time that we have to learn God's word as something that's actually different than just ideas. It's the revealed word of God. And that word becomes real. It's true, but it becomes real, again, as we we put it into practice day by day in the specific uh, situations. Uh, We've dealt with a lot of themes so far in this series, and we've been walking through the book of 1 John. And 1 John is written by John the Apostle. He was the close disciple of Jesus. He knew Jesus personally. He was there for his life, his ministry. Uh, He was there for his death and his burial and resurrection. Uh, He was uh, actually lived a longer life than most of the apostles who were martyred um, at an earlier age. But he has a firsthand account of Jesus' work and also really a firsthand account of the Christian movement as it was getting started. And he's writing 1 John to really the believers of his day in his time in a way to encourage them in their Christian faith. And today we're going to get into some supernatural side of the spiritual life. And uh, the supernatural is something that we talk about in our culture. There's a lot of movies that that reflect it. It could be a force. It could be evil. It could be all sorts of things. But uh, in God's word, we actually have the right categories for how do we think, uh, not just here and now in space and time, but there is a spiritual realm. And then how do we deal with things in the the spiritual realm in a way that honors God, that is right, reflects truth outside of fear and outside of of error. And uh, the reason we're talking about this today, and the title of the sermon is called The Devil in the Details. Have you guys ever heard of that that phrase, like the devil is in the details? Usually it comes when someone has a great idea of something, and it could be a complex, it could be on a big scale, and people say, yeah, but the devil is in the details. It's an idiom we use. What does that mean? Well, most of the time it means that you can have all sorts of ideas And you can have great plans, but it's in the actual execution of your life as you take those ideas and put it into specifics, that's where it becomes challenging. And the reason this is important is life in reality that we live every day is full of details. There's lots of ideas, but there's also lots of details that we have to take care of in our life. And oftentimes it's in those details we can get really hung up. And I just want to kind of contrast this idea of true uh, versus real. Uh, True, oftentimes, you'll see this on the screen, oftentimes deal with what is general and our intentions. And if you're new to Christianity, God wants you to know the truth. And the scriptures actually say it, it will set you free. But what happens a lot of times is we can hear an idea and it becomes like, oh, that that's helpful. And it's true, but it's in a general sense. And maybe that general sense of what's true gives us this intention of like, you know, that would be good for my life. That would be helpful. Or I like that idea. And we live right here. It's very general. And we may be dealing with the truth. And it speaks to our intentions of of where we kind of hope we can be. But the scripture is actually supposed to go beyond just the general. And it's supposed to go beyond intentions. And that's the difference between true and real. Real is specific. And that's what God's word is. It's true and it's real. It's specific in that it speaks to your life and it speaks to my life. And it's action-oriented. What do I need to do differently? So if you ever grew up and your parents, maybe you had a messy room and they said, you know, like godliness is next to cleanliness or something like that. You try to find that screen. You're like, that's a great idea. And you're like, I got to clean my room. And it's like, you know, great. It's true. I should clean my room. And that would be great if I cleaned my room. And I intend to clean my room, but if you're a parent and you walk by the messy room, it doesn't matter if the intentions were to clean it, if it's not clean. And how do you have to clean a room? Well, you got to get in there and oftentimes you have to get dirty, right? 
You look at all the stuff that maybe the last time you cleaned it a few months before, you're like, you know what? I wanted to keep that and I can't keep that anymore. And, and then you look at the floor and there's all sorts of dust. And you got to sweep that and you got to get the trash and maybe you have to fill the trash bag up and get rid of stuff and keep, and it's all in the details. So what's the difference? Well, if you intend to do something but never do it, is it really true? And so oftentimes in life, we have to move from this general sense to get to the specifics. Now, God's word is always true whether we do it or not. But what God intends as he relates to us and as we know him for us over time to have an experience with his word. The reason this is so important is because in our world today, just like in John's day, there are many people who are vying for our ear to speak the truth that they think is true. John is writing 1 John to a group of people and the church is being invaded by many false teachers. There was a movement called the Gnostic movement where people believed that it was just kind of this, this light in the spiritual sense that you just had to follow, the kind of this, this force, but it wasn't specific to the person of Jesus. People believed Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not the son of God. He did not come in the flesh and he was fully God at the same time. And so they didn't really believe Christ was who he said. There was all sorts of opposition that the early church faced. The reason this is important is because there's lots of opposition that we face today as well. And what I want to do is, before we dig into First uh, John, since we're talking about this, this area of the, the supernatural, and it's more than maybe what Hollywood t- tell us. It's not maybe, it's, it's definitely more than what Hollywood t- would tell us. It's probably different than maybe our experience or maybe this general sense. I want to dig into a little bit of the category of, of sin and the spiritual nature and then build on that with, with what John wants to talk to us about in chapter four. So let's dig in. Uh, three temptations uh, to sin. Um, we're always gonna deal with these three, and it's the devil, the world, and the flesh. And we've talked about this a lot. The Christian life, I usually use an analogy, if you remember. I say the Christian life is not a cruise ship, it's a what? It's a battleship. What's the difference? Where in one, if it's a cruise ship, you're just cruising, and you're eating, and you're relaxed, and you're consuming, and you're enjoying. I love the sound of that. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a battleship. You're gonna move in a direction, and you've got the Lord Jesus as the general moving us forward, but you have to be on guard. There's a mission. It's not just to consume. It's to move forward the light of the kingdom of God. But on the battleship, these things will always challenge us. And I want to just describe them. Uh, first, the, the world is external, and you'll see that on the next slide. The battle is external. It's coming at us, messages. The flesh is internal, the struggles that we have. When you're a Christian, if you decide to follow Christ, did all of your struggles go away? No. You still struggle, right? Do you still sin? That's not rhetorical. Do you still sin? Yeah, we still sin. It's not magical. It doesn't just... No problems, no more sin. No, we, we still have the flesh. The old way creeps up, it pulls us back. We don't have to give in to that, but it's a struggle. And we still sin and we still fall. And then this third, the devil, it's, it's supernatural. All three of these are working all the time to lead us off track. John knows this context. And in the book of John, he speaks actually to not loving the world. He's dealing with that that far-right category. Don't love the world or anything in the world. You gotta be careful. And when he's saying love the world, he's not talking about the people in the world. He's talking about the system that goes against the ways of God. In our world, there is a current of thought that says there is no God. You can choose your own truth. In fact, you can be your own God. You can make yourself happy and you build your life on that. We actually are supposed to refute that if you're a Christ follower. You cannot go that way. There is no life there for you. That's the world and its system that pulls us. And so John speaks of that. And he also speaks of this flesh. And even last week, we talked about the opportunity we have to love, but so much of the challenge with love is our own desires to love ourselves and to think about ourselves the most. That's the selfish ambition we have. And so in John's writing, he's through each chapter kind of building these different promises of God in the middle of the battle. And how do we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil? Briefly, the world, he describes in 1 John 2, it's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust 
of the eyes and the pride of life, if you remember that. That's 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Let me just briefly, again, speaking of the world, describe what that is. Well, the, the flesh, the lust of the flesh is not talking about this flesh, it's the world's flesh, like the, the promise of what is to come, of something good. And this is the stimulation of physiological responses. These are the things the world sends us to say, you know what, pursue that, follow that, chase that. And oftentimes these can be found in, in, in addictions. It's the lust of the flesh. And then the lust of the eyes. Uh, this is the desire to achieve beautiful things to gain contentment. So the world is telling you, if you wanna be content, if you wanna be okay, you need to chase these things. You don't worry about this over here. This is to do with God. This is to do with what he wants. That's the narrow way. There's no fun there. The world's telling you the good life's here. And that can be found in possessions. And it drives us to greed or, or envy. That's the lust of our eyes, what we see, and it looks good. And then the, the pride of life. This is our selfish ambition. And we battle this. And the world tells us, you have goals. You follow them. But the pride of life is my plans and my goals that don't include God. That's part of the world system. You don't need to include God. You're an independent person. You're an individual. You pursue what you want to pursue. And these are the lies that we battle with the world system. And then there's the flesh. Again, this is the internal struggle that, that just wages war within us and against us. Paul describes this in the New Testament. We experiences in life, that there's things that we want to do and the scriptures say, but we don't do it. And the things that we don't want to do, what do the scriptures say? We do it. That could just be a daily occurrence in our life. Again, our intentions tell us to go this way, to please God, to do the right thing. But our flesh, it just seems like we can't do it. We keep messing up and we keep stuck in the same place. So that's the world. That's the flesh. And these are real. And they are going on all the time. And then there's the devil. And that's where we're going to focus on today, specifically as it relates to the lies and the spiritual attack that we can experience on a daily basis. When I say daily basis, I mean it could be hourly, it could be minute by minute. There's different lies that we have to battle. I was reading a book recently, and I'm still working through it. It's called Spiritual Warfare by Carl Payne. He says this, a demon strategy, speaking of spirits, is to keep you so preoccupied and distracted that you don't feel available or qualified to serve God. This is so important we talk about this. You know why? Because if the battle is in our mind, most people don't know what's going on. And if it's in your mind, most of the time, you just think it's you and you accept it. But John is writing the scriptures and the scriptures are given to us so we will know the battlefield that we're in. And we have an enemy if you're a follower of Christ. And the enemy exists even if you're not, but... If you're not a follower of Christ, he has you. If you're a follower of Christ, you have an enemy and he wants to take you out. He wants to stop you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to fill you with lies. He wants to get you off track. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the work that God wants to do. So I wanna talk about this supernatural realm and what the enemy wants to do and then how with Christ we, we have the victory. And so I mentioned this later in the first service, but I'm gonna mention it earlier in this service. The battle in the spiritual realm has already been won. It's not dependent on you. It never was. It's been won as soon as Christ rose again from the grave. It was won completely. So if that's the case, we already know the victory then we should have a confidence to fight because the battle is won. It's not dependent on, well, if I mess up, the whole battle's over. No, the mission in the kingdom of God will not be thwarted. It will not stop. Nothing can stop it. Scriptures say the gates of hell will not stand. So we have the victory, but the enemy is still fighting to do whatever he can to take us out. He still wants to wreak havoc. The victory's already won. We're secure. If you decide to follow Christ, you're secure in your salvation. But he'll do all he can to make your life count for nothing. He'll do all he can to divide our church. And so John writes. So I wanna kind of talk about a tactical, since we're talking about the battle, the battleship, and this, this tactical warfare that, that's going on. 
Um, Satan actually has brilliant tactics. He knows what he's doing. Now, Satan is not God. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere at once. But he's very powerful. And he has legions of spirits, also known as demons, that do his bidding and his work for him. But his tactics begin with the question, how would you stop somebody from doing the right thing? If you think about that, how would you stop somebody from doing the right thing? Well, you get them confused about what the right thing is, and then you get them discouraged about doing it. And that's primarily what Satan does. And so let's dig into his tactics and read God's word together. Tactic number one, this is the battle, uh, is deception. The enemy, Satan, wants to deceive us. And then how does he do it? If you want to deceive somebody, what do you do? You tell lies. You tell lies. So let's dig into what John says regarding this. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. So in three verses, there's a lot of interesting, spiritual, supernatural things that John is giving us categories first. First, there's spirits. There's spirits that are here to deceive. And then he describes false prophets. And it just seems like a seamless shift. You go from spirits and then all of a sudden there's false prophets. Like many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, how do you make that shift? And what he's saying, well, there's these spirits who are filled with lies that come from Satan himself and they fill people with these lies and they represent these spirits. It's like the spirits are really giving them these ideas. And then he describes these, these antichrists. Antichrists are literally against Christ, his ways, his promises, who he is. He's saying, listen, you, you have to watch out for this. In the church, you have to watch out for this. In, in your life, you have to watch out for for all the things that come at you. Why? Because many false prophets. When Scripture uses the word many, it's on purpose. They're everywhere. Now, what this means is you're not going to go out and see somebody and say, hey, what's your name? They say, well, my first name's false. My last name's prophet. They're not going to introduce themselves that way. In fact, most people who don't know the truth and are speaking a falsehood about God, they don't even know that they're doing it. They don't even believe that it's a lie. Most false prophets believe it's true and they're deceived themselves. And I was just thinking, you know, in, in my life, the different things that are thrown at us. And John is speaking of many false prophets in our midst everywhere you look. And then I think, in our day, not only do we have many people that are going against the ways of God in the world system, many people that could be sent from Satan to, to stop the work of God, but then you have also technology and the inundation of information and how many false messages are being produced every day that we read about on social media, that we hear in the news. There's no shortage of false prophets here and now. Again, these are people that just claim a truth that's not true according to the scriptures. They are a false prophet. They're speaking a truth that's not true. And there's many. There's many then and there's, there's many now. And you don't have to look far to be inundated with it. So John is saying, you gotta watch out because all of us are searching for truth. All of us. And if there's something that kind of represents something true or even has maybe an element of truth, there's something in us like we, we wanna learn about that. John is saying you have to watch out. You can't just be a sponge that soaks everything in. But false prophets, they believe the truth. They draw conclusions, and they want people to draw the same. And so I was thinking in my life, well, what are, what are some of these truths that we're told in our culture? Well, one of them that we are inundated with all the time is do whatever you want to do as long as you're what? Happy. That actually sounds amazing. 
we're real? Because I want to be happy. Did you wake up today and say, you know what? I want to be unhappy and have a terrible life. No, we want to be happy. We all want to be happy. But do whatever you want. You know what? That Actually, if I could wake up and do whatever I want to do, and that will make me happy, that sounds amazing. The issue is you don't find that in scriptures. That's actually not what we're made for. So then there's another lie that we're told, like we're just self-made people. We weren't created by God. We just came through maybe this evolutionary process and something exploded and here we are. And that gives us really the power and the freedom to choose whatever we want to be and whoever we want to be and whatever we want to do. We have ultimate freedom. We're individuals. We're independent. It's very appealing. There's no limit. As long as you don't hurt anybody. And we're told these lies and they they resonate in, in us. And that's part of the flesh because we do want to do what we want to do. We do like our goals. And we like our goals over other people's goals. And so if we can choose our goals and it makes me happy, I'll build my life on that. These are lies that, that are, are being told. And then there's other lies that we, we face internally. Just it's not fair. It's too hard. I'm the only one that's facing this. And because of that, we then shift. Okay, well then I need to do something about it. If it's not fair, I need to make it fair. If it's too hard, I need to give up. If I'm the only one, I need to stop doing it. That's what the world tells us. And it's fueled by Satan and the enemy. Now, every truth claim and actually every lie comes beyond the human mind. As humans, we did not invent truth. Without God, there is no truth. We couldn't just explore and come upon it and discover truth. We have truth because there is a God. He is the source of all truth. In our culture now, we've, we've gone so off track that we don't even make that connection. And we say things like follow the science, which basically means you don't listen to any other authority outside of what this man-made system is. But that actually, there's a time in our world that that wasn't true. Even scientists and all the discovery and all the work that they did and in philosophy, they could not have the discoveries they had and the learnings and the connections without this understanding there is a God who made this possible. Very different perspective. In fact, there was a German astrologer, Johannes Kepler. Uh, He was a key figure in the scientific revolution in the 17th century. He came up with like the most significant probably laws of planetary motion. Now, that's definitely true but not real in my life at all. Up until I wrote Planetary Motion, I don't think I've ever really read that phrase or said that in my life, right? But actually, that's a big part of our universe, how the earth exists. It's all based on where God chose the earth to be in the solar system and connected to everything else, and I'm gonna go beyond, I won't say anything more because I don't know what I'm talking about, really, okay? But as he came up with this, this, this laws and these theories and he made the most significant progress that had been made at the time, he said that his, his thinking was thinking God's thoughts after him. I'm thinking God's thoughts after him. I love that. He's the source of the truth for which I can learn and discover these things. I'm thinking his thoughts after him. So when things are true, it's come from the mind of God. Contrast that, what John is talking about. If things are lies, the source is Satan himself. As humans, we don't come up with the lies. They're being fueled. They're being sent out into the world for us to buy and to believe and to build our life on. It's true and it's real. If we believe the lies, our life will get off track. And so John is saying, listen, there are many lies being sent in the, force of, in the, the form of, of spirits. These lies are penetrating people and false prophets, and antichrist, you have to watch out. And these lies will also permeate you. And you can believe them. Not only that, you can think they're true. And so you could be utterly confused. And so John's writing this, and he says, listen, don't believe every spirit, but he says what? Test. Don't believe every spirit, but but what? Test. And so I just want to briefly talk through how do you test these spirits or these lies? What, What do you do? Well, Let's dig in. The first 
ways to test truth, and, and this is really true in life, is, is there's the self-test. All of you do a self-test. In fact, when someone like myself, like a pastor, begins talking, you're doing self-tests all the same, all, I mean, all the time. Is that, is that real? Does that, does that go along with what I think? And our self-test is usually connected to our upbringing, our own knowledge, our own exploring, our experiences, what we learned in school. We're filtering it through all those things, and we're deciding, is what I'm hearing, is that true? Does that line up with what I know and how I know life to work? So that's the first test. It's always the self-test as we're thinking and processing. And this is where the phase, my truth, people say, well, it's just, it's my truth. I'm living based on my truth. And they're saying like my self-test, like all the tests I've had to decide what something's true, that's what I'm basing my life on. Well, the self-test has two challenges. The first, it assumes that we can't be fooled. Can you be fooled? Have you ever gotten an email that's trying to fool you? Dear Alex Barrett, this urgent matter about your account, it could be solved with your social security number, your driver's license. And if you want to give a credit card, you can give that too. Now, I say that in jest, but last year, 2.8 million Americans filed a fraud report. They were defrauded. They were deceived. 2.8 million. That's actually not that many. Why? Because most people, if they're frauded, they're not, they got deceived. They don't want anybody to even know. That number is, is higher, I'm pretty sure. But we can be fooled. So the self-test, what if you're fooled? What if you actually don't know what the truth is? The second challenge with the self-test is this. It assumes that we have access uh, to all the data. We can see the context. We can see all the truth and the data that supports it. Well, most of the time, you and I just have a fraction of the data. In our big universe, things are always changing. That's why science most often admit, like, well, we thought this, and now, now it's, it's changed. Why? Because more information is coming out. We don't have access to all this, this data. New data is being produced in different areas that, that we're learning about. And then some of the data that was true in the past is no longer true, and then it's changing and filtering, and, and we can be confused. So self-test. What if we're fooled? And then what if we don't have access to all that we need access to? Thankfully, that's not the only test we have. So when it says test the spirits, what John is saying is you have to get beyond the self-test because you can be fooled. And that's why he's writing the warning. And that goes to the, the second test. And that's the source test. The source test is I will rely on God, the source, since he is the creator of truth, the father of truth. I can rely on him to help me identify the lies. But this test has some challenges as well. The challenges for this is you have to trust a source document. You have to trust the source. If there's a source test, you have to trust that this source will give you what you need. And, and for Christians, the Bible is the source document. There's actually many books in different religions that they say they have the source. So the challenge is, can you trust the Bible as the source of truth? Not only can you, but, but will you? And you have to investigate its claims. That's a challenge. You have to investigate it for yourself. Because we're not talking about general we're talking about specific. And if God's calling you forward to do something specific and to change your life and it will cost you, will you do it? Will you only do it if you trust the source is truth? So you have to investigate. That's part of the goals here at Ridgeview. We want people to give, have room to investigate that the Bible is true. But that is the second challenge. Not only do you have to trust the source document, you have to learn what the document says. And you have to get time in God's word, the scripture as the source to learn it. And the way that you really learn it is by doing it. You can trust the source ultimately as you've had experience and it, you've seen that truth in your life. I've seen that again and again in my life, just this, this process of learning God's ways. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. That was different. The way of relating, the way I'm supposed to treat people and I read scriptures, and it says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And you're like, 
Ephesians 4.29, that's really interesting. So I need to build people up. Well, that's interesting. Because in my family, maybe like we didn't build each other up with our words, but that was just okay because that's kind of what we decided we would do. And so you, you get a scripture that maybe transforms the whole way that you're supposed to relate to somebody. So how do you do that? Well, that's interesting. That's true. But then you have to put it in the real category. I'm gonna learn what it says and then I'm gonna put it into practice. And then when you see what God does when you build somebody up, and how the relationships are so much stronger than whether you tear them down or whether you're sarcastic or whether you lie. Like when you see the difference that makes in a relationship, it becomes real. And now your trust in the source grows. Does this make sense? This is the Christian life. It's learning what God says, going to the source, and then begin to choose it. And then your your trust in that source grows. So that's the self-test and then the source test. But there's a quick test. That's the third. This is what John describes in verse two. It says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The quick test is, is the source of what somebody's telling me, does it come from a perspective that Jesus is who he said he was? Do they believe that Jesus came to this earth? He lived a perfect life. He was sent from God. He is God. And he was fully man. He died and he rose again. Do they believe that? What John is saying is if you're not sure, this quick test can filter out a lot of information that you maybe can just leave alone. Now, does this mean that there's not help outside of Christian perspective? Well, no, that there's all sorts of things that we have in this world from people who didn't necessarily believe this about Jesus, but it's been informing and it's been helpful. But when it comes to living your life and making radical change and putting things into practice, I'm talking about the areas of marriage and your finances and parenting, these things which have effects for years and years and years, the question is, is is this coming from a source rooted in Christ? If not, you need to be careful. It's a quick test. Is this true? Do they believe who Jesus is? This filters out a lot. And oftentimes in life, those filters are helpful. Because the more we're inundated with, the more we get paralyzed and we just stay in the general with our intentions. So that's the first. The enemy wants to take us off track through deception by telling us lies. The second tactic is discouragement. And how? Accusations. Just being accused. And the areas of of lies is just you, you know the truth or you don't know the truth and you have to battle with what's true. And then the area of discouragement is this, this kind of internal battle that, that we all have. And it's again built in what the enemy wants to do. So let's continue to read verses four and five, First John. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's the victory I talked about. And then verse five, they are from the world Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. This is also connected to the idea of lies. We're living in a worldly system where the values of the world and the ways of the world are going against the ways of God. Now, sometimes it's not this stark contrast. It could be very subtle. But we're talking about the masses here. Why? The world listens to them, the system of the world the messages you hear, the media, the movies, what the schools teach our kids, the movement of culture. It's all moving into this system where they don't claim Jesus is who he said he was. And it's filled with lies. That means it's all bad? No. But you have to be very careful. The, strong is, the current is very strong and it can pull us. But we have this promise that John says. It says, that as children of God, we have overcome them. And, and who are them? They're the people of the world, people that we see. Now, it, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're on the winning side of truth. Again, because of what we see and we experience and the messages that we are inundated with, it just feels like Christians are in this just kind of special category. Like, well, bless their hearts. They mean well. 
but they don't really have a lot of sense. And if you want to really know about how the world works, you want to know really about mental health and psychology and really good relationships and science, you want to really know that mm, you can't go this route, the world system. It's pulling away from the ways of God. Truth is found not in God, they say, but in us. We are gods ourselves. They may not say that, but that's how they live. They put their trust in themselves. But just like the lies come from the source of Satan, the accusations do as well. And this speaks to even Satan's name. Uh, in Hebrew, the name for Satan is Satan, which means to attack or accuse. In the ancient times, the name that you were given was descriptive of you. In the scriptures, it's descriptive of Satan, to attack or accuse. And then in, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the devil is diabolos, which means to accuse. So if you run into somebody whose name means to accuse, what do you think they're going to do? The scriptures say, listen, there doesn't have to be a mystery here. You have an enemy who's a liar, who's the source of all lies. And not only that, he will accuse you. He will come against you. So if you can go back to just that, that tactic, I, I just want to talk really briefly about discouragement. Go back to that, that, that point there, the discouragement and then how the accusations. I think it's the slide before that. I just want to briefly, I believe in just my years of ministry and as a pastor, I believe this area right here is one of the most under-talked about in the church but it's like a field day of just ruining people's lives. Why? Because I get discouraged a lot. And I talk to people who are discouraged a lot. And you begin to ask questions of why you're discouraged. And you begin to have conversations. And what you find out is because they're believing things that are not true. But it's so hard because it's so real. You feel it. So let me ask you this. In the past week, in your own life, have you had a thought that's discouraged you? Yeah? Have you had this, this thinking where you feel like you can't change and you can't move forward and you can't make progress and nobody's here for you? And people don't really love you? And maybe even beyond that, does God, does he really care? Why am I still facing this? Why am I still inundated with these problems and these sin? And I just feel like I, I get cleaned up and then the next day I just get messed up again. It just discouraging, discouraging, and we're just in the mud of discouragement. And we have a source of the world that, you know, you get discouraged. What do you do? Well, it depends. It's mental or physiological. Or maybe there's some things you need to do. But what if the source of the discouragement is spiritual? What if that discouragement is fueled by the enemy himself to take you out? Then what do you do? This is what we're facing in the church. We need to equip people to know how to stand down discouragement. Because if not, it will take us out. When I say take us out, I mean the victory's already run, right? But if you have periods of days that are discouraged and you get into really dark times, you know where that leads to depression. And then that depression, it goes into even darker days. And before you know it, are you really motivated to do the things of God, to come to church? connect with people, to go to small group, to sing praises to God, to read the scriptures, to pray. Are you motivated to do that? No, because you're in a dark place. And so we really need to start when that discouragement begins. We have to know that oftentimes there's a source here that could be accusing us. And so I wanna dig into those accusations. The first accusation that Satan uses repeatedly, and you see it in these antichrists, people that are antichrists, going against the ways of God, the false prophets, the spirits, all of these, this. God is not good. He's not good to you. He does not love you. And he's not there for you. Well, maybe he is in a general sense, but not in this. Not in this specific thing. And we begin to wonder, you know what? Can I trust him? Is he there for me? Is he listening? Will he offer help? At the moment, that you question the goodness of God and that trust erodes 
you begin to disconnect from God and you pull back. And as you pull back from God, you disconnect from him, you pull back from the people of God. And as you pull back from the people of God and the church, you begin to isolate. And as you isolate, you become more and more alone. And when you become more and more alone, the lies that you're fed on the first tactic become more true. And the accusations become more real because then you're like, well, how can I step away? How can I be this distant? And then you feel in the mud again and then you pull further and further away and you, you see that the tactic, before you know it, it's like you can't get back because you're believing a lie and you're accused. And it begins with this just God, God's not good. But God's goodness is something that we can question. The scriptures are filled with that. The key is you wrestle. And if you're questioning, you talk to God about it. You don't remove yourself. You lean in. And God is faithful and loving, and he will prove his goodness to you. That's what the Psalms are about. Read the Psalms. And they're an encouragement. He will be good to you. And it comes through experience as you trust him. If you want to know God's goodness, do the thing he tells you to do. That's how you do it. You don't remove yourself from obedience. You lean into it, and then God's goodness grows. Isn't that so counterintuitive? Because if you're questioning God's goodness, it's like, well, I don't know if I can do what he says. If you want to know he's good, do what he says, and he'll show you. That's how faith is. You can question, and you can wrestle, but stay there and allow God to show him, himself and his goodness to you. So that's the first accusation. Second is you are not good enough. You ever struggle with beating yourself up? How could you do this? How could you do that sin again? How come you're questioning? How come you're still struggling? Why can't you get ahead? Why are you so messed up? Why do you keep doing that same thing? Why do you keep talking to that person that way? Why do you keep yelling at your kids? Why are you so mad at your wife? Why are you angry at your husband? What kind of a person are you? Call yourself a Christian? We begin to question God's goodness and the trust erodes, and then the enemy will just fuel that, but then he accuses you. Wow, you don't trust God's goodness anymore? Man, how far you have fallen. This should sound familiar to you. What it shows is you have an enemy. And if you're facing opposition, it's because the enemy wants to stop you. Oftentimes, the opposition makes us feel like, I'm not close to God. No, oftentimes, you've got a target on you because you belong to him, and he wants to stop you. And here's the promise that we have to keep coming back to, and you'll see this in what John says. For he who is in you, that's Christ, is greater than he who is in the world, and that's Satan. That's the promise. Now, it doesn't say, for you are greater than he who is in the world, right? So when you're accused of you not being good enough, you know why that hits us so hard? It's true. We're not good enough. But this is the beautiful reality of the Christian life. Although we're not good enough, Jesus is. And when I decide to follow him, his goodness replaces my sin. And I'm not judged by my sin. I'm judged by his righteousness. That's why John describes it as the propitiation, this substitute. Christ replaces his mercy and his death and his sacrifice for our sin. The debt is paid. And that's why it's for he is greater. Christ, what he's done for us. The cross tips the scales. When we try to earn it and we just realize, like, oh, I keep messing up, I keep messing up. It's like, there's no scale for which our effort can overcome the accusations against us. They can't because we keep failing. The only way for the accusations to stop is you claim the cross of Christ. The debt has been paid. I'm forgiven. And I will not get into discouragement. So I just want to, as I, I wrap up, I just want to, couple things. If you're discouraged, I think we're in a time in our culture where you're almost supposed to embrace it and analyze it, unpack it, describe it, figure it out. I think oftentimes, though, 
you need to reject it. Don't let it settle. Because do you need to analyze the lie if it's not true? No, if it's a lie, you need to reject it. You need to stop it. And so if you just sometimes feel discouraged, and it can come in different ways in my life, it can come generally. There's days where I wake up and it just feels kind of like a discouraging day. You ever have that? Like I said, I don't know. It feels like a little cloud. Not great. I don't know why. Just not that motivated today. Really bad day to talk about it on Time Change Sunday. You're like, well, I'm, we're all depressed and discouraged. Well, sometimes it could just be you need to sleep longer, right? But there's days where I wake up and I just feel like, man, I'm not motivated. I just kind of feel like I don't have it together. I feel just down. I don't quite know. And it's general and I can't speak to it. And I have to realize like, oh man, there's something going on. Could it be the enemy's trying to stop me from moving forward? Could be. So you just pray against it. God, I feel discouraged today. I, I feel down. I feel like there's a cloud over me. I just feel like kind of sad. I feel disconnected. I feel like alone. I feel like no one's with me. And God, there's times where I'm not sure you're with me. You begin to question these things. They become so real because you think them. But what if that thought is not your thought? You have to be very careful. You have to reject it. So oftentimes there's these mornings where I could face these things. I say, God, I'm feeling down. I'm discouraged. I'm not motivated. Will you help me? In the name of Jesus, I pray against discouragement. You have to pray against it in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how you test the spirit. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray against discouragement. So that happens in a general sense time sometimes. Big, just I don't quite know what's going on then sometimes I'm discouraged because I have messed up and I've sinned. So God, if there's something that I've done that I've sinned, will you show me my sin? There's times where God does. He says, you know, you messed up right there. You need to confess that. And then God, I, I sinned. Will you forgive me for that? I don't want to hide any longer. I don't want to be in the dark of the sin. I want to bring this into the light. Will you help me? And I confess it to you. In the name of Jesus, I know that you have forgiven me. And you walk in the righteousness of Christ. This is the battle of the Christian life. You don't just dwell there. You have to keep moving forward. Discouragement will take you out if you let it. It's root in accusation. Guys, as the church, we have to stand up for this. We have to show people there is victory in Jesus. You can overcome discouragement, your depression, you can be forgiven. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to fear what people think of you. You have to keep replaying the sin that you've done, that's done to you. There's victory in Jesus. People need this hope. The number of people in our world who are having suicidal thoughts, who are taking their life, who have just given up, we have to stand up but it begins with us. We have to rage this battle within us. We have to fight. We have to stand for the truth. We have to get to the source document, allow God's word to help us. We need to pray against discouragement, pray against fear, pray against depression, and keep moving forward. And if you're stuck, get help. And when I say help, talk to a pastor, talk to me. We'll help you. And that's not just like, well, a quick fix. There, there may be things we have to talk about, but the church has to be a place where people can get help. We can't outsource it. People get help here. This isn't in my notes. I'm just fired up right now. Should we do lunch or no? Okay, okay. All right. I, I, I really do think, though, that this is the time of our day in our season, in our, in our culture, with everything that's going on. We, we have such an opportunity if we can begin to help people realize that God will help them in this area of their thoughts where the battle goes on, people will turn to Christ because he is their only help. If that's really true and real, people will be flocking these doors ready to receive Christ. If this is true and real. But it begins with us. I wanna wrap up as the band comes up with some next steps.
Uh, the first is just to memorize 1 John 4, 4. If you want to, again, test the lie from the truth is you have to know the truth. You have to know the source. And that begins just memorizing a scripture. And you just state that scripture and you can write it down, and you, but you have to get it to your memory. Because in the middle of the battle, you have to know that he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. If you haven't got that memorized, you don't know that truth, how do you fight with it? It's like a sword, right? It's like a battle. You cut down the lie. You have to chop that lie down. You do that with the truth. And so memorize 1 John 4. Second, thank God for his mercy daily this week. That's a way that you grow the goodness of God and diminish the thought that you can earn his favor. When you thank him for his mercy, you realize like you can't earn his favor. He loves you despite what you do. And that grows as you thank him for his mercy. And then finally, pray against deception. Again, as those thoughts come and you're not sure it's true and you're just being plagued and you feel like you're in the mud, and you feel like there's a cloud, pray against that in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray against it. If there's certain thoughts and they're specific and they're telling you stuff, pray against that. Pray against it in the name of Jesus. And then reflect on Psalm 23 or Psalm 16 this week. Again, reject the lies. But once you reject, there's maybe this empty space. You have to fill that with the truth. And as you fill it with the truth, you now have the foundation for which to stand as you continue to battle. Let's stand together. Let's fight together. And may our church be a place where people who are inundated with the lies and the accusations, they can come and find freedom and hope in the person of Jesus. Let's pray that right now. God, we thank you for your mercy. I'm just overwhelmed because I know the things I've done and I know that you've forgiven me and I know in this room we're filled with a room full of sinners. And a lot of the time the accusations can be so true because of what we've done. But God, thank you for sending your son Jesus who has forgiven us completely, who's wiped away our sin. Therefore, the accusations against us cannot stand. So we reject the accusations of Satan. We reject the accusations of demonic spirits that tell us you are not good. We reject that in the name of your son, Jesus. As we look to Jesus, as we look to the cross, we know he is good. And we know you're good because you sent him. And God, we reject the discouraging thoughts of we're not good enough because God, we know that we're not good enough but the base of our life is not our own works, but it's on the works of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So while we're not good enough, he is. And God, help us to fight against those accusations to stop our progress. God, give us discerning ears and hearts to know the truth from the lies. We pray for our young people who are inundated with messages, social media and news and school. God, will you help them through their parents and through this church to know what is true from what is false. And God, help us all as a church to stand on the truth as the foundation for which we live. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.